You're listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Narrative Notebook, hosted by Dr. Sayantani Dasgupta from Columbia University's Program in Narrative Medicine. Narrative Medicine, a return to traditional clinical practice or a new way to care for patients. I am so honored to have with me today my colleague, physician and literary scholar, Rita Sharon. A native of Rhode Island, Dr. Sharon is an internist at Columbia University, and she is the founder and director of the program in narrative medicine at Columbia. She is the author of Narrative Medicine, Honoring the Stories of Illness, and the co-editor of two volumes, Stories Matter, The Role of Narrative in Medical Ethics, and Psychoanalysis and Narrative Medicine. Welcome, Dr. Sharon. Thank you for joining us today. Dr. Sharon, you are the founder and director, as we mentioned, of the program in narrative medicine, which has been in existence since 1996. Is that correct? Uh, Yes. Now, many of our listeners may have heard about the program, may have heard about its work, but many, you know, may be unfamiliar with its work. What is the program in narrative medicine? What's its mission statement? What does it do? Like many medical schools, Columbia has had an interest in the humanities. Starting in the mid-80s, colleagues and I at Columbia were starting reading groups and, and were kind of every now and then including a writer or a poet on the syllabus because we, as perhaps not all science major pre-meds, had a longing for and a desire and a love of literature, history, philosophy. So this wasn't something in the curriculum for the students, but rather among faculty themselves. Both. So early on, there were reading groups for faculty and a few occasional lectures for medical students. And starting in the early 80s or so, of course, there was a whole movement in what some call medical humanities, which is uh, the study of literature and history and art and philosophy for the clinician and the patient. So that was not new. So here at Columbia, I became the champion for bringing the humanities into the medical school. And it was very easy because Columbia University being, I mean, the main campus being just a few miles uh, downtown from the medical school, we had colleagues And we had persons who would come up to the medical center to give a lecture or two on topics in the humanities. There was early, of course, collaboration in ethics. And bioethics was, I think, where many schools started an interest in in humanities. We at Columbia had a particular interest and commitment to history. And the medical historians were, were quite present at the medical school. It was really in in 2000. So I had a program for for many years, and I was running little courses and electives for medical students all that time. So this was, in essence, an adjunct to the standard traditional curriculum. Exactly. This was kind of the recreation. These were elective courses, and students could come together to read in the evenings or, or what have you. I wasn't satisfied with that. The more I myself learned, I was at the same time a graduate student in the English department getting my doctorate in English. And the more I learned and became skilled as a literary thinker and theorist, the more I understood the fundamental features of medical practice that are based in 
stories. I, I want to say that very clearly, that the poems and fictions and stories were not at all the recreation. They're recreating, <laughs> but they're not done for recreation or, oh, phew, I need a break from studying my biochemistry. The more I understood that these skills in receiving accounts that people give of themselves, in effect, the skill of being a very sophisticated listener or reader, were exactly the things that are required of practice and that are usually missing. Oftentimes, though, there's kind of a, a myth or a belief among we as educators that, you know, some of students are born with it. Some students come to the classroom with it be that qualities they have from their family or what they studied in undergraduate. And some students just can't be taught and therefore should go into a subspecialty where they don't, you know, maybe have to deal with patients so much. What do you think about that? Can everyone be taught? Is this a methodology that teaches everyone to be a good listener or are just some of us born that way? I think that, of course, we all have some natural tendencies. We have temperaments. We have particular bodies. We have particular cultural traditions. And so, of course, not everyone does everything. Some of us, indeed, are highly gifted creative artists, but not all of us. What all of us have is deep potential for seeing things and being curious about them, taking them into ourselves, letting them tell on us, which is to say letting these things we see or witness influence us. And certainly for doctors and medical students and nurses and social workers, we are surrounded by terribly distressing consequential sights. So no, I don't want all my students to become Henry James scholars just because I am one. Instead, I encourage students to find their path toward high perception letting them see, letting them hear, letting them be cognizant of that which goes on in front of them, whether it's with an individual patient and his or her family or the pancreas. I'm going to read a quote, let's see, by William Osler that I have somewhere. And I want you to tell me what you think about it. You know, William Osler, kind of the big founders of medicine, said... The practice of medicine is an art, not a trade, a calling, not a business, a calling in which your heart will be exercised as equally as your head. Now, is narrative medicine kind of solely the purview of the heart, of the head? How is it balancing both? I mean, what's going on in narrative medicine? Yes, yes. It is so exciting just to be able to talk at this level about the complexities. Where does it belong? Where does it come from? It helps us understand how elemental are these things that we're talking about. I know that it must be hard for some people listening to grasp what the whole thing is. All of us in narrative medicine are clinicians, doctors, nurses, social workers, people who work with sick people or those who can teach us do our work better. We are committed to developing the capacity in each one of us clinicians to absorb that which we hear, to take in the predicament of the patient in its entirety, in its unity, and 
to thereby be able to certainly diagnose more accurately, but to be able to recognize the person who seeks our care. And to call it narrative medicine simply signals that this is a clinical practice undertaken with narrative skill. And these are hard, though trainable, skills to obtain. The real capacity to recognize when someone's telling you a complicated story, to take it into yourself, to metabolize it, which is to say, you know what metabolize means. If, if you're a clinician listening to this, you know the digestive cascade that something is absorbed and then broken into its parts and acted on in catalytic fashion until it can be made what? Part of self. The food we eat becomes part of self. And I think the same is true of experience. And the stories we listen to, the stories of our patients becoming a part of ourselves. Yeah. Any doctor, nurse, social worker knows that our patients get into our bones. We know that. It's our patients who make us the doctors we are, the clinicians we are. How do they get there? How do they get there? They get absorbed and metabolized, which means you have to take very seriously. Here, I want to, can I read you something? Please. And from, So you're reading to me from your 2006 book from Oxford University Press, which is called Narrative Medicine, Honoring the Stories of Illness. So this is a description of a patient. An 85-year-old woman with bad asthma comes in to see me. I've known her for almost 20 years. We have managed to decrease her hospitalizations and emergency room visits dramatically over the years, and so she is grateful and I am proud. Today, she sits and weeps. I know that her 28-year-old grandson just last week drowned in the ocean off Miami. I know that her son, this dead man's father, was shot to death on the streets of Harlem at the age of 36. She sits next to me and she weeps. Her English and my Spanish enable us to reach one another. Her pain is unbearable, suffering again the loss of her son by virtue of the loss of her grandson. She is overwhelmed by her grief. Yes, she prays to a God she still feels near. She is comforted by the presence of her daughter. She allows herself to talk about her two lost men. She knows that time will heal her pain, and she knows to wait. I weep with her unable to fathom her agony, but able to honor her bereft state. I'd like to thank you for being with us today, Dr. Sharon. Thank you for listening to The Narrative Notebook on ReachMD XM 157. The Narrative Notebook has been brought to you by Columbia University College of Physicians and Surgeons. To hear a podcast of this program or any other program, please visit ReachMD.com.